0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of a mother's embrace. And now here is Pastor John with today's message
1: a mother's embrace a mother's embrace that's the title of the message this morning and I tell you that right off the bat because there is one iconic picture in in my family that I think captures that concept of a mother's embrace better than any other picture we have now I I don't know if this will do it for you but this is what does it for us and our family so here's the picture let me show you this picture so this is uh, family day basic training in September of 2012. This is our, this is my, our wife. This is our wife, Valerie, <laughs> which is not legal or moral. So y'all stop. Um, this is Valerie and our son, Zach. He, um, we had not seen Zach since we dropped him off uh, in July for basic training. We had had two 53 second phone calls. In that eight weeks that were the hardest weeks of his life, all we got was letters, and it was about a one week turnaround by the time we got it, responded, sent it back, he got it. So, moms, can you understand how desperate she was to get her hands on her boy so we could see him down there on the field? <clears throat> That's really, yeah, yeah. So they feel your pain, Valerie. We could, she could see him on the field in formation, and she could see him coming off, but she couldn't get her hands on him. And she, was, she had already determined that his girlfriend was, was with us, and if she stepped in front to get the first hug, she was going to tackle her, <laughs> step on her throat, and then hug her boy. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So after eight weeks we got to go down to Fort Benning and we got to see him and she got her hands on him. And I'm so grateful that, that we took somebody with us to, to grab some pictures because this to me is the epitome of a mom's embrace. She broke three of his ribs <laughs> C2 and C3 in his spine. Uh, so he got a medical discharge. No, I'm just kidding. But that boy got hugged right there on the spot. And so Zach and Kirsty got that um, blown up for us on a canvas and, and gave it to Valerie for Christmas and it's hanging on our wall and as far as I'm concerned it will always hang on our wall. So that's, that's, a mo- that's what I think of when I think of a mother's embrace. Mothers, I know that you often think of grand- mothers and grandmothers also for their embrace. they very often known for hugs that you just can't duplicate anywhere else. As a matter of fact, besides Valerie's famous hug, I want to show you my second favorite hugging mother. So if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, if you were blessed enough to grow up in the 70s and 80s, then uh, you'll appreciate this from a show called What's Happening. So you just need to see it to experience it. Let's roll this, let's roll this footage here. Let me die. Uh, Mama,
0: Yeah, happened? I said breathe.
1: Listen, if you've never seen that, if you didn't grow up in the seventies and eighties, I am so sorry for you. Because we were awesome with our long hair and bell bottoms and all that stuff. So anyway, that's a a show called What's Happening. It's a a great, great show. And I always think of that when I think of a mother's embrace. So mothers are definitely famous for those hugs, right? They're famous for those embraces. But if you're going to be a, a good mother, a godly mother, then there are going to be some things that you have to embrace that have nothing to do with hugging your children, and that's what I, what, what I want to talk about today. We're, we're going to look at three different passages of Scripture and find out what three things a mother must embrace. Now, these are spiritual principles. So they apply to dads as well as moms. They apply to single people. But, but it's Mother's Day, for goodness sake. So today we're going to focus on mom, all right? Here's the first thing. A mother must embrace planting. A mother must embrace planting planting. Now listen, a a group as smart as y'all look have probably already figured out we're not talking about moms planting flowers or planting gardens. There is another kind of planting that mothers have to embrace and and we see it in Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. So let's look at that together similarly teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. Now, it's interesting to me that this Doesn't say mothers, it says women. The concept of spiritual motherhood is not a consolation prize. It is a vital role for women in the church. We need more spiritual mothers. Can somebody agree with me this morning? We need some spiritual mothers. In the same way that Miss Mamie has been a spiritual mother to so many people in this church, we need other spiritual mothers to step up. Listen, don't let biology prevent you from mothering. Nobody can prevent you from mothering. There are many younger ladies around you who either don't have a good relationship with their moms or who for some reason are separated from their moms through distance or, or some other way. Be a mother to those people. The world tries to divide us. They try to separate us. They talk about the generation gap. Listen, there wouldn't be a generation gap if somebody would step into the gap. So ladies, find a younger lady to mentor. Find someone to mother, someone to sow into, someone to plant seeds in. Every Titus and Timothy needs a Paul. So get busy showing this next generation how to be a woman of God. So mothers understand that the only way a harvest grows is if they plant it. So mothers embrace planting. They recognize that they have to teach their sons and daughters to, how to be men and women of God. It was in those scriptures right there. How to be pure in spirit. How to practice their faith. How to prioritize their activities. How else will today's women know how to be wives and mothers unless somebody shows them how? Now, ladies, get ready to say amen. Don't say it yet, but just get ready. Are you ready? Um, Living with men is difficult and frustrating. I thought there'd be some enthusiasm in the room for that. Somebody has to teach them how to do that. Somebody has to teach them how to live with men. Who are so exasperating, and children who are also exasperating. Mothers are constantly planting seeds by their words of encouragement, by their words of wisdom. But more than anything, moms are constantly planting seeds by their example. By their example. See, mothers know that you can't plant what you don't possess you can't plant what you don't possess. So don't even think about trying to produce a daughter that's different from you. That passage we just read in Titus begins with, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. See, that has to come first. The older women have to be modeling that behavior. The law of sowing and reaping mandates that you reproduce what you are. Think about it. You can't sow a seed of corn and expect to reap grapes. That's just not how that works. When God created the earth, look back in the book of Genesis, He declared that plants and animals and humans would produce, and you see this over and over again, after their own kind. After their own kind. If you want your child to be it, you have to be it first. Amen. We talked about it at the first of the year. In one of the first messages we had in 2019, I said, you have to be it until you see it. If you want to raise kids who love and serve God, then you have to be a woman who loves and serves God. It's not do as I say and not as I do. Did you all hear that when you were growing up? Yeah, I heard that. The problem is it sounds good, but it never worked. They will be what they see. You say, well, John, listen, this is not good news on Mother's Day because I have messed up. I have made so many mistakes. I've done so many things wrong. Listen, Mama, of course you have. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. But guess what? Your kids are human too. No matter what the the popular culture says today, your babies are not perfect. They are not perfect. They well I'm not even going to say that. They you know that if you change their diapers. You they are not perfect. So, who's going to show them how to change if not from you? How who's going to show them how to admit their flaws and how to admit, admit their faults and learn from their mistakes? Who's going to teach them forgiveness and grace? Who's going to teach them to pull themselves up when they fall and fail, to dust themselves off and head off in a better direction? You see, if you will accept the fact that with every action and with every attitude, you are sowing seeds of character, sowing seeds of wisdom, then it just might motivate you to be the person you've always wanted to be, to be the person you've always known you should be. So do it for your children. Mothers embrace planting for the next generation. Now listen, let me say this real quickly. All forms of mothering are tough, whether it's biological, spiritual, foster, adoptive, blended. No matter matter how you became a mother, there's not an easy way to do it. And with that in mind, not only do mothers have to embrace planting, but they also have to learn to embrace pain. They have to learn to embrace pain. I want to show it to you in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Him. This is eight days after Jesus was born. And then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. But he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And this is especially where I want you to see this, moms. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. That is not the prophetic word that you want spoken over yourself. A a sword will pierce your soul. But as Mary, the mother of Jesus, stood at the foot of the cross watching her firstborn child die in the most excruciating way they could come up with in the Roman Empire, I'm sure she understood in that moment that that was the perfect description for what was going on in her heart. You see Mary knew right off the bat that being in a relationship with Jesus, and mothering Jesus was going to cost her dearly. And though no one else will ever know what it feels like for Mary, how difficult it was for her to stand there and watch her son suffer and die carrying the penalty for every sin that's ever been committed for the entire world, all you mothers in the room understand that there is always pain involved in being a mother. Maybe the only thing more painful than having a child is loving a child. Because relationships are painful. They're painful. They're they're complicated. But mothers know they're worth it. They know they're worth it. If you choose to be a mother to somebody you can expect pushback, you can expect rejection, you can expect pain. All sorts of things that will cause you pain. But the possibilities are worth the pain. See, it's difficult to watch your children suffer, isn't it? It's difficult to watch them suffer. Now if you're a young or or prospective parent, you're probably thinking about cuts and scrapes and boo-boos. And it's so pathetic. It is just so pitiful. The first time you watch your your kid bleed, or you watch him with a broken bone, or you watch him get bonked in the head. That's, That's not fun. It's hard to watch him suffer. But it doesn't take long before you realize that those are the hurts that will heal. Some things are harder than others to endure and even harder to recover from. You may see them suffer because, because of the cruelty of another child. Or you may see them suffer at the hands of the carelessness of an adult that's in their lives. You may have to watch them suffer by the natural consequence of their own bad decisions. And the natural tendency in those moments is to try to rescue them out of all that suffering because not only do you not want them to suffer, but it's painful for you to watch. So in some ways, you're not just ending their suffering, you're ending your own by trying to rescue them out. But the more mature mothers in the room today know that there is no way to keep your kids from suffering. There's just no version of that. There's no version of life on this earth without pain. There's no version of relationship without pain. And there's no way to prevent it for yourself either. It may not be a sword piercing your own soul, but it sure does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it, Mom? There's pain in every stage of mothering, pain in the pressure of teaching them the right lessons in sowing those seeds into their young lives. There's pain in in learning to let them be more independent and eventually the pain in letting them go. There's pain in their not needing you as much, and, and, and not talking to you as much. And not seeing you as much. But that's all part of the plan. You see, God didn't let you parent so that you'd make them dependent upon yourself for the rest of your life. He placed them in your care so that you could launch them into adulthood as mature, functioning adults. So that pain of separation is an indication that you've done it right, Mom mothers have to learn to embrace pain you say okay john well that's 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 the obvious obviously there is pain associated with mothering but what do i do with this pain how how do how can i embrace the fact that that it's it's just going to be a part of my life how do i cope with that how do i function from day to day so maybe it's the pain of separation, or maybe it's the pain of rejection, or maybe it's the pain of conflict, maybe it's concern about their decisions that they're making or the path that they're taking. Maybe, maybe you struggle watching them struggle with their faith, or even worse, watching them struggle without the faith that you instilled in them. Either way, mothers need to learn this last point mothers embrace prayer. Moms embrace prayer. You see, the fact of the matter is, mothering leads to worrying. Have you noticed that? So like if there was a U.S. Olympic worrying team, it would be filled with mothers, wouldn't it? And they would dominate the field. But the Word teaches, and it's easy. It's, it's the most natural thing in the world. But here's what the Word says, don't, so don't get mad at me you can worry or you can pray, but you can't do both. You can worry or you can pray, but you can't do both. Here's why. Because worrying is rooted in fear and hopelessness, right? Because if you weren't hopeless about that situation, you'd have already done something about it, wouldn't you? So you're only left with worry from your fear and your hopelessness. Prayer, on the other hand, is rooted in faith and it's rooted in the belief that God sees you, that he knows you, that he hears you and that he will answer you when you call on him. Amen. You see, I've heard people say this and I'm sure I've said it a thousand times myself and I'm trying to teach myself not to say stupid stuff like this. All we can do now is pray. Pray. Y'all ever said, not you, none of you righteous people. I mean, the heathens sitting beside you. You ever heard them say that? Yeah. And we say it like we've run out of good options. And the only thing left to do is pray <laughs> as a last resort. Listen, the reality is prayer is really all we can do anyway. We fool ourselves into thinking that our actions are actually accomplishing something. But if our actions are not driven by prayer, if they're not empowered by His Holy Spirit, if they're not in alignment with the Word of God, then you're not helping. As a matter of fact, you're just making it worse. So pray first and pray last and pray always. If we would learn to, if we learn to embrace planting, then you need to pray over the seeds you're sowing. If you learn to embrace pain, then you need to pray your way through the pain. So lay it on the altar so that God can take that pain and bring beauty out of it because that's his specialty and he's the only one in his field. I know many of you have shed many, many tears over your children. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because I know you have. I've prayed with many of you in the altar or over the phone about situations that were going on in your kids' lives. There's nothing like your kid being in pain to bring pain to a mom. I get that. But do you know how important your tears are? You're like, Lord, I have cried an ocean of tears about my children. Let me show you something. In Psalm 56 and verse 8... This is the psalmist crying out to the Lord. He said, Lord, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Mamas, not one tear that you have shed for your children has fallen in vain not a single one. God not only saw them, He saved them. He collected them up. They are precious to Him. And He didn't just collect it in a bottle, He wrote it down. Isn't that incredible? That is an incredible blessing of the Lord to know that when you are crying out in the midnight hour and you think you're the only one paying attention to what's going on in your child's life, God sees you and hears you and is with you in that moment, whether you feel Him or not. And do you know how important your prayers are to God? If tears are, are that important, how important are prayers? Let me show it to you in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when He took the scroll, this is Jesus, the four living beings and the twelve, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. They held gold bowls filled with incense. Look, which are the prayers of God's people? The prayers of The saints are so valuable to God that He keeps them. Not, listen, not in a pickle jar. Not like mama used to do. Did your mama just collect every jar, jelly jars and mayonnaise, everything? Just all in the cabinets. Not just that kind of jar. He he keeps them in gold bowls. Gold bowls. Let me ask you a question. Are your prayers in the bowl? Are your prayers in the bowl? Here's why I ask that, because I am certain that I have prayed some prayers that didn't make it in God's bowl. Because not everything we call prayer is really a prayer. Amen. Let me show you what I mean. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He said, but when you ask him, that's prayer, when you ask God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver, for, if a, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. So your prayers have to be in faith or, or, or else. What's verse 7? Such people, double minded people whose faith is not strong, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you call it a prayer, if you're not praying with faith, it's not really a prayer. Romans 8, chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 26 through 28. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. Listen, the the Apostle Paul is writing this. The greatest Apostle in the history of Christianity, in my opinion, is writing this verse under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if the Apostle Paul doesn't know what to pray, we don't know what to pray either. So we need to quit acting like we do. We don't know what God wants us to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Some prayers are too powerful and too painful to speak words in. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And then here's, a, here's the next verse, you, ha, you may not have ever seen this in context, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. That's, that's, a, that's a result of prayer. Prayer. The fact that everything is going to work together for good is a result of prayer according to the will of God and led by His Spirit. There's one, one, one more place in First John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is in the NIV. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, which is prayer, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So listen, there's a lot of qualifiers on prayer, a lot of ways that the Bible teaches us to pray. But this this is enough right here. Prayers have to be offered in faith. That means we actually believe that God is able to do what we're praying about. That's why you can't worry and pray at the same time. Because your worry and fear and doubt and hopelessness, it cancels out the faith that you need to pray in. So faithless prayers are a waste of time. We have to make sure that what we call prayer is not just worrying in Jesus' name. We have to have faith in God's ability to hear and respond to what we're saying. And prayers have to be offered in harmony with the Spirit in accordance to God's will. So do we take enough time in prayer to hear what the Spirit is saying? Do we let him pray his will or do we insist that God do it the way we want it done? Here's the hardest part for me. Do we linger long enough in prayer that we get our opinions in neutral and we really listen for the heart of God about the situation? Because I'm the world's worst about running into prayer like I'm dropping off a list of things for him to take care of and I never even stop to quiet my mind and my spirit long enough to hear what He wants in the situation. Do do you submit yourself to the Spirit and let Him pray through you? All of that is part of our prayers, making it into the bowl. And in 1 John He teaches us our prayers have to be in accordance with God's will. Does His Word promise it? If His Word promises it, then you can stand on it. If you find yourself praying a prayer that goes against what the Word of God says, you're wasting your time. Because God will never say yes to something He's already said no to. Because He ain't like us. We We don't get worn out by our kids and just change our minds. So let me ask you again. Are your prayers in the bowl? Are they in the golden bowl at the altar of the Lord Are you praying in faith? Are you praying in harmony with the Spirit and the will and the Word of God, moms? If so, you can rest assured that your prayers are heard and that they are collected and that they are saved by God Himself. He never ignores His children. So take comfort in that fact this morning. There is power in prayer and it's not a last resort. Prayer is our primary spiritual weapon. So mothers have to learn to embrace prayer. There's an example today that I want to that I want to close with. It's it's really an odd example uh, of motherhood from the Word of God, and it's not the kind that you typically want to share on Mother's Day because, quite honestly, it's a little morbid and gross. Y'all interested now? Yeah. So, um, so we're going to look at this and and see what this looks like. But let me let me set this up for you because it's a great picture of a mother embracing prayer early in the history of the, the children of Israel living in the promised land, they made a treaty with a people called the Gibeonites. And that's a really, a really interesting story um, in the book of Joshua. So Joshua swore to the Gibeonites, he made a solemn vow before the Lord that as long as they lived with the Israelites they would be protected. Now they had deceived Joshua into making that treaty, but a promise is a promise, and the Israelites for hundreds of years had kept the promise to keep the Gibeonites safe. That is until King Saul attacked the Gibeonites and, um, and killed a bunch of them. So when Saul was dead and King David was reigning, the Gibeonites came to David and they demanded justice. They demanded that they be able to, ex- to exact vengeance on seven of King Saul's sons. That was, that's what they said. That, so seven men innocent of this crime were executed for the crimes of King Saul their father. Now two of these, and you know in those days they had, the kings had multiple wives, multiple what they called concubines, that they also sired children through. So he had a bunch of different women with whom he had children. Two of these boys that were executed were the sons of a woman named Rizpah. And they, what they did to execute them was they either hung them or impaled them, and then they left their bodies exposed, as an example. And so their bodies were left unburied. So this is how Rizpah, their mother, responded in 2 Samuel verse verse 10 in chapter 21. Then Rizpah, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock and stayed there the entire harvest season. She prevented the scavenger birds from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. Now, once you get over the initial shock of what that scene must have been like, you begin to realize and understand the depth of the the love that this mother had for her children. She was completely unable to stop their execution, but nobody could stop her from honoring them in their death. She kept the predators away. From her boys. She kept the scavengers away from her boys even after their death. She was a mother to them all the way to the end. Now, here's the lesson, moms, and dads, and single people, because this is a spiritual principle. In the Bible, many times animals, and especially birds of prey or scavenger birds, are oft, they often represent demons, they represent evil spirits, they represent temptations of the devil against our sons and daughters. So here's the question today from this scripture. Where are the rizpas of the world today? Where are the rizpas in the church today? Where are the spiritual rizpas who will take on the demons and devils of hell who are attacking our children? Where are the mothers, the spiritual mothers, the, the biological mothers who will stand in the gap for their children? Not griping at them, not complaining at them, not nagging at them or condemning them, but stepping up in prayer and saying, not today, devil, you're not getting my boy. You're not getting my girl. You just thought you had gotten them off by themselves. You just thought you were going to take them out today, but they are not alone because I am standing with them and against you in the name of Jesus. Where are those moms? Where are those moms. RISPA, you must have used a stick or some similar crude weapon to drive those wild animals away. But we don't have to use a stick. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword that we can use to drive those things away from our children in prayer. So ladies, intercede for your children today in the name of Jesus, according to the Word of God. Pray for them. Stand on the promises of God for them. Pray a hedge of protection around them based on Job chapter 1. Pray for God to give them wisdom in their lives based on James chapter 1. Pray against the attacks of the enemy that are coming against them like Ephesians chapter 6 said. Pray for them like Jesus did for Peter that their faith will stay strong even though the enemy is trying to sift them like weak. Pray for God's favor over them. Pray that they will walk in integrity. Pray that they'll put on the whole armor of God. Use the word of God like a prayer book over your children. And You say, John, my children aren't even believers. They don't even pray for themselves. What do I do about that? Listen, that means that according to the word, they are dead in their trespasses and sins, just like we were before we found the Lord. But but listen, that's okay. Rizpah's boys were dead too. You pray anyway. That didn't stop her from doing what mothers do. So pray for your lost kids that that God will open up the eyes of their hearts according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Pray that the scales will fall off their, their eyes the way they did Saul's eyes in Acts chapter 9. Pray that God will save them because 1 Peter says it's not His will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And if they're believers but they've strayed away from Him, pray that they will have that prodigal son moment where even if they're sitting in a pig pen, they will come to themselves, they will recognize they had it better in their father's house, they'll repent and go home to the Lord. Pray that over your children. So I don't care what situation your children are in. I don't care how stubborn they're being. I don't care how hopeless things look. We need mothers like Rizpah who will fight for their children where it counts the most, not as a last resort, but who will fight on their knees in prayer every day. Every day. Mothers embrace prayer because they know that that's the best thing they can do for their children. So moms, if you're going to be effective in the kingdom of God and raising children who love the Lord, you've got to plant seeds. You've got to push through that pain. And more than anything, you've got to keep praying for your children, no matter what. Would you stand with me today?
0: 3747. That's 7705373747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.